uh, jump in. Uh, and I've got a brief message here about, you know, if I think of uh, the last uh, few years, uh, one of the things was needed in the church is leadership. Leadership, leading the people, because it has been a very tumultuous time, if you know anything about and you've been conscious the last few years in our country and just globally, globally, and how we are not to, to lead alone and how we are, we are at today as a church by God's goodness, His mercy, His grace, but also great leaders, great thinkers, people that, that uh, jump in and serve. And so uh, when I think about it, I'm not just thinking about this past year, but I'm thinking about even from the spring of 2020, how I remember all that, COVID coming in and hearing about all of that. Then there was lockdowns and riots and, and then border issues. And <clears throat> then we got this woke agenda and, and school boards and, and all of this. And, and I think about what is going on. Before, it didn't seem like if you go back 15, 20 years uh, it just didn't seem it was so overt in the hostility. And it seems like the light is becoming lighter, but the dark is really becoming vocal. I'm not sure I'm articulating that. I could do that better. But I think of the verse in Revelation 12, 12. It says, the devil has come down to you in great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time remaining. I think that's what we're dealing with here. He knows there's a short time remaining and great wrath. So there's not only these platitudes and nice and being sneaky. He's just overt right there in your face. Show it. This is who we are. And you better accept us. If you don't, we're going we're gonna to cancel you. No, this is the time when we need to stand in love and not be, you know, you know unloving, but stand up for truth. We need to stand up for what's true and what we believe to be true. And I, I'm so thankful for a church that has done that. And here's the thing. Let me just say this. I am so thankful, my wife and I, for a church that when we decided to open and we decided to move up and to stand, you stood with us. A lot of pastors, they, they, uh, they were abandoned. I'm just telling you. They got left alone. They got strung out. And, and uh, I've heard this statistic of the 300,000 plus uh, churches in America 100,000 in the next six years are going to lose their senior leaders. That In America, just for whatever reason, they're, just, they're done. And 100,000, that's a lot. And so it's important that uh, there's strong leadership for the church that continues on. And I love that. My wife has that and the staff has that. that we need to duplicate ourselves. We need to replicate ourselves. Who are we bringing along to train? Who are we bringing along to teach? Who are we bringing along? You can play an instrument, great. Who, who else are we going to raise up? These young kids so they can do worship. Come on. And then they can play drums. Or we can have, so we have, we have a tier of people that are as in strength we move forward. Amen? Are you awake this morning? So let me just kind of go through some, some brief things. Uh, leadership in crisis, when I think about it, our vision here at Church for the Harvest, it remains the same since the church began. And that is equipping Christians to live these irresistible lifestyles. But not only that, to engage in influence works of service for the kingdom of God. And so that's based on Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4, when it talks about the main purpose of the church, I believe, is to equip the believers. And you see that as the church continues to grow. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that does everything. When we started the church, we had to, my wife and I. We had to unlock the door. We had to close the door. Come on, somebody. We had to shut the lights off. But, but as the church grows, uh, we need to continue to equip. Another component of harvest that's major is 
missions, missions. And our mission statement is very simple. To do what it takes to reach and disciple people for Christ. To do. Someone shall do. It's not just thinking about it. Missions is great. That's wonderful. We need to do it. People that do it. And many of these nations I've been in, and a number of you have been in also, but also in locally in our community, I, that will continue on. I know we are kind of blindsided to hit with COVID and everything shut down, but missions will continue to be a part of Church for the Harvest. You need to know that. Missions will continue to be a part. And I, I love this that uh, was, uh, I shared with some of the leadership team that we have expended over a million dollars back in October, I think it was 2021, to missions. Can you imagine that? If you'd have told me that 23 years ago, I would have went, you're nuts, crazy. There's no way. Because at that time, we started the church, we tried to get a credit card for the church. And they were like, what amount are they going to give us on the credit card? And I think we got just under $10,000. So we had really no credit. And so we had to get a trailer. We had to get sound equipment. And I remember being at the, the sound place. We were there for about at least eight hours in Minneapolis trying to get the credit card to go through to have the church sound system. And finally it went through and we left and we had our own sound system that we set up and we tear down. And we did that for years. And uh, amazing, amazing. So missions, to do what it takes to reach and disciple people for Christ. It'll continue. Missions will continue. And uh, I just love that, that we've given. And I just, you know what? I'd like to, I'd like to double that amount of million, not in the next 20 years, but in the next 10 years. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? And even more. And that this building would be paid in full, paid off. Amen? Over the next five years. I just believe in God for that. So missions will continue. You know, and I think the verse in 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, in whom I am the worst. I am the worst. And I think about it. I don't want to lose the fire of that verse. I don't want to lose the fire of that verse. And, and um, you know, they say that today that there is about five and a half billion people that have not heard of the gospel. Now, we're approaching eight billion. It's about 7.9 billion. So in the last 10, 15 years, as we've kind of gone on with our life, we have grown as a world globally to almost eight billion. And about two and a half, three billion know the Lord or have heard, or there's some representation of the gospel. But five and a half billion people don't even know, don't even know about Jesus. I want that to set in. I want you to think about that. Five and a half billion people. You know, someone said you can spend a million dollars in 10 days. Some of you think, I can spend it in one day. But a billion a billion dollars, try to spend that. They say it would take 31 years for you to spend a billion dollars. And I just think of people, though. This is not money. This is people. Five and a half billion. Recently heard about a, a tribe in somewhere in Southeast Asia. I thought maybe it was in India. They call them the tree people. You, so you think of Avatar? This is the real Avatar. These people live in trees naked, 80 feet in the air. And there's thousands of them. And they live like animals. They just live like monkeys in the tree. And someone brought a, a, some type of a radio that can convert a preaching, and they brought that to the trees, and they just placed it on the ground so they could hear the gospel message in the trees acting like animals. This is today. And what they found was the people started to come down out of the trees, and they, they wanted to know more about Christ. 
who is this Jesus you're talking about? And missionaries begin to come in, and now I hear there's 11 churches. They're coming out of the trees. They're getting saved and born again. Listen, God is doing some things in our world. But you know, I just heard about in India, there is 500,000 villages that don't have a gospel representation in India. We flown, my wife and I, in Japan and did a number of trips and some we've been a part of, and then we've taken the high-speed train in, in Japan going from one community to another. And I remember being a mission, with a missionary and he said, see that community that just you zip by? A whole uh, uh, village of hundreds of thousands, 60,000 people, 200,000 people. This is in Japan. He said that there's not one church not even a denominational church, like a Catholic church. Nothing in that whole village as we flew by. How will they know unless someone is sent? And how will they know unless someone preaches? They need to hear the gospel. Can somebody say amen? amen. And so when we talk about it, uh, uh, with our, our moving forward as a church and leading, um, the missions is going to be a, a major part. Another thing is, too, is our purpose. And it's like, well, why, why do you do what you do? Jesus said, as my Father has sent me in John 20, 21, so send I you as my representatives. And so that's our purpose. God has sent us to continue on. Now, how many know that the work was accomplished at the cross? The victory was accomplished. Absolutely. It was accomplished at the cross. But you know what? There's a lot of work still to be done. There's work to be done. There's uh, ground to be plowed. And I like that someone uses the term, and I like this term, that we are called to enforce that victory of Calvary that was accomplished. How many of you know that, that you know, there are laws in our community, in our nation, to not do certain things? But how many know people break those laws? So why? That you need to have law enforcement to what? Enforce that law. So we are, in a sense, enforcers of the victory of Christ, of the gospel. Did you get So in other words, you are authorized. Say that. Say, I am authorized to be an enforcer. Now, that's, we're not talking about militancy here. We're talking about enforcing what the victory that was won and the blessings and the overcoming and the conquering and the walking in the Spirit and everything else that God has for you and I. Amen. Amen. So that's a little bit that Harvest will continue to do, and our motto is, you know, we always had it, you belong, and it means you, you have a proper and suitable place here at Harvest if you feel the Lord is leading you to be a part of, to be related, to be connected, to not be a stranger, but be someone that is connected into a vibrant, vibrant body that they know who you are and know where you're going. So in the next few moments here, I just want to give a a pattern. Uh, there's a picture in the Old Testament I thought it's kind of appropriate as we talked about pastoral care and leading in crisis and, and that how we are going to continue to minister and expand the kingdom of God, uh, not only just stateside but abroad and uh, it, it, with our preaching and teaching with adult ministry and the pastoral care ministries, lead, youth, children's mission, all of those are vital. All of those matter. It matters that you have your kids in youth. It matters that your kids are plugged in and being dropped off there at the children's area, hearing about the word of the Lord. Can I get an amen? And so let me just say this. I like this quote. I, got, I heard it recently. The highest calling of a leader is the growth and development of people. Successful leaders train up other successful leaders. So the growth and development of people, and that goes right alongside equipping, uh, as it says in the King James, equipping and growing. 
um, true leadership is tested and proved in crisis. True leadership is tested and proved in crisis. John MacArthur made this statement. He said, the real leader is the one who can handle the stress. <laughs> he or she is the one who can solve the problems, bear the burdens, find the solutions, and win the victories when everyone else is merely flustered, confounded, and perplexed. And that's what we've had over the last few years with many, many leaders. They are flustered, confounded, and perplexed and did not know what to do. But thanks be to God, God gave us clear vision what to do to move forward. And here we are today. Can you say amen? And so the Bible talks a lot about discernment that we are to examine all things in 1 Thessalonians, that we are to exhibit maturity to distinguish between good and evil. Good and evil excuse me, Hebrews 5.14 talks about. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 says, God wants that our, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge in all discernment. Did you get that? That your love may abound more and more in knowledge, but in discernment, that you may approve things that are Excellent, so that you may be pure and blameless for the, before the day of Christ. So there's an Old Testament story, briefly, I want to touch on, and just a few points about uh, a problem and how a solution came by an unlikely character. It was actually Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And so this isn't just for church leadership. This is for you personally, in your life, in your leadership, maybe in the business that you, that you have. Or maybe you have people under you that are employees or maybe there's teams that you lead. Um, this, I think, can be very helpful. And I've adopted this uh, here at Harvest uh, as, as we continue to grow. So Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And so he met him after he was exiled to the wilderness. And then he came back. And he was used as a great deliverer. But I'll get into all of that. And so here is Moses out now in the wilderness. And he is judging the people for all the issues, all the troubles. So at that time, they felt anywhere from a million to three million people. Now think about it. <clears throat> You're the soul guide. How many know that's a lot of problems every morning? How many know that's a lot of marital problems every morning? <clears throat> you know, no running water. You're in the desert. You got to set up a tent. You know, all, so he's sitting there judging, and it says from sunrise to sunset. And so his father-in-law, Jethro, jumps in, and he makes, he makes a, a, a discernment and, and so we see that Moses, he needs wisdom and discernment while he's trying to discern and judge the people. So he's in the midst of it, but he doesn't see what he's doing is actually counterproductive, even though what he's doing is right. How many follow me? Say amen or oh, oh keep going. Delegated authority is what I'm trying to talk about. And I heard this quote, and I thought it was interesting about uh, discernment. It's not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Why don't you think about that? All right, and that's a lot, a lot of the choices that people hear today. Sometimes it's not just black and white. Sometimes it's not really clear. Jethro said to Moses that you're, what you're doing is not good. So in other words, he's in a sense correcting this, this leader, this amazing leader that brought freedom, God used, of his people in a deliverer. He, Moses was one of Israel's greatest leaders. He led a nation to freedom. At first, his tendency was to do everything for those that he led. But his father-in-law, Jethro, instructs him for the good of the people as well for the good as Moses. And he said he needed to delegate some of his responsibilities. And I just want to take a moment and read the verse. You could just jot down this and you can read it later. But these verses tell us in Exodus 18, when Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, 
What is this that you're doing for the people? He asks the question. It's a little bit critical. He says, why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Hmm. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Hmm. Every great matter they shall bring to you. So now he begins to instruct and break down a leadership structure to help Moses. So every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And then he goes on to say, if you do this, God will direct you. And you will, be, you will be able to endure. In other words, you will be able to finish well. I don't know about you, but we want to finish well. <laughs> I want to finish well. I believe you want to finish well. He says, you'll be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. And he breaks down select men to lead over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And he built a structure that uh, many corporations and today and and we have as churches and delegation have built upon. And so I just quickly wanted some takeaways from, from his counsel. So here's a man, his father-in-law. His father-in-law gives him counsel. And here's the thing I find is amazing. God didn't say, don't listen to him, Moses. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Nothing about that. So this was actually the heart of God. This man had wisdom to help the church in the wilderness continue on in strength. Help me with me say amen. The first thing is you got to resist doing it all. I don't know about you, but I just jump in a lot of times just do it myself, <laughs> you know? And, and, but you got to resist that. He says, why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you? So they're watching him and they're standing there, but nobody really is being equipped. He said, it isn't good for us to do all of the work while others watch doing nothing. Why? Because that doesn't raise up leaders. When you do everything, you don't raise up leaders. And God wants us to replicate ourselves. And this can be difficult for several reasons. First of all, it means that, number one, you have to give up control. Somebody say amen. <laughs> you got to give up control over something and that maybe you've had absolute control over. You've done everything. You do everything. Your hands are in everything. Yeah, I know, but if I don't do it this way, it won't get done right. Well, we maybe need to train better. I'm speaking to myself, and the reason I'm passionate about this is because I'm the guy to say, you know what, just do it, do it right, and, and uh, you know, count on somebody, but you got to train, raise up. Here's the thing, I'm not going to live forever, neither are you. And we want God's kingdom to move forward in strength. Amen? You know, when we uh, first started the church, I said, Ron and I had to do everything. We started in our living room. Uh, I remember one guy in there said, hey, you think maybe we should start taking an offering? I'm like, I didn't even think about it. And we were going for months. So we put a little basket and, and uh, it was just, we just did everything. And then we moved to the tech school and did set up and tear down. And some of you actually still hear a part of that. Uh, I remember Jack and Julie being a part, Jack helping unload and, and, and others and, you know, got 30 below. It's just like, wow, this was a challenge. Uh, but set up, tear down, wait for the keyboard to, to warm up for two hours when it was minus 30. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And, and just, just, you know, we just had to do, you just had to. Just had to do everything because you just didn't have people. And it was just a handful of people. 
And so, uh, but there came a point where we had to begin to, to release as we continued on. And so, so I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to do it all yourself. Think differently this year about equipping, bringing somebody alongside, help, you know, empowering people. I hope, I hope you don't feel that I'm just saying that, but you actually believe that when you see those who worship up here and you see those who share, and as we're a church, that we're an equipping church. If everything gets funneled to me, it's going to be an overburden, and I'm not going to be able, my wife and I, we're not going to be able to endure, because clearly as a church, we've turned a corner, and it's, there's things that are really accelerating in the church, which is good, uh, but we need to have these set in place, this structure. Amen? I would say the other thing, too, very simply, is ask for help. It says, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. In other words, you are needlessly wearing yourself out, Moses. When you refuse to delegate tasks, and my wife is really good, why are you continue to do that? Why are you climbing up on here? Why are you, well, pardon me, I'm, I'm not a lazy guy, okay? I don't mind getting my hands dirty, and a lot of me, I like to figure out. So I know I have dates on all of the HVAC uh, filters, because I mark them, you know? My, I was pulling my daughter's uh, <laughs> car, just giving it a little check when we were in Texas recently, and it's like, honey, you know, the guys who changed the oil, I said, they didn't plug this in. And I was like, you probably got poor fuel economy. She goes, oh. And so I looked at it, and I says, when was this filter changed last? And, and I pulled it out. It was my handwriting on the, the date on the filter. I'm like, yeah, it's time to change that filter. <laughs> you know, so I'm that kind of guy. You know, I'm going to dig in there. I'm going to find out. And if something's blown and doesn't work, I want to find out. I don't just going to go, oh, whatever. I got to make it happen. But there's people you can delegate to that can do it even better than you and they can handle it, and you've got to trust them to do that. So thankful for Mark, too, getting out there, busting up the ice and cleaning off those sidewalks. I'm going to like those sidewalks clean. Mark did that. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> but just there are people that can do things, and, and you know, you've got to ask for help. You've got to ask for help. And it is the habit of a good leader to know when to ask for help. And, you know, see, if Rhonda and I continue to do everything for the church family as it grew, then it's possibly that some people... Uh, you know, it's possible some people could mistakenly feel entitled, kind of like, the, well, the world exists around them rather than the other way around. How many know we're here to not be served but to serve? That's, our, that's the mindset. And, and, and I take that. I'm not here to be served. And the pastoral care team is not about me carrying stuff for me. It's, it's to serve. And they're there to serve, to serve people, because I think that's the highest calling. And so when we delegate and ask for help and give tasks to others, uh, people feel valued. They feel like a valued part of the, the, the church community, and, and they don't feel like an outsider and, and, uh, who are dependent. And then quickly, number three, uh, I would say, you know, the, with the, a lot of these kind of all mixed together is to release the care of absolute control. Jethro said, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And let me just say this. The point of where we're at, Ron and I, we are thankful, we are grateful. It is amazing. It is a miracle. Uh, not just is in the building being, the giving, and the ministry. You know, we talked to some other churches, and a lot of the structure that my wife has been very pinnacle involved in, getting stuff behind the scene that you don't see that helps structure to build, give language, scriptural language, to the pastoral care and the other ministries that are there. Each of the departments helps us to grow in strength as a church. I really feel good. I feel strong as a church, and we move in that we could double in size. I can feel it. we can handle it. 
Amen. We can handle it. Why? Because we got leaders with lead and train. We got people that are being exposed and we're raising up leaders. I believe that's the heart of God. And I believe God's blessing this church because of it. Can you say amen? You know, the Bible says we are repeatedly in Scripture told to release the care of worry, to carry each other's burdens. And, and so we know that asking for help can be a real test of our trust. Uh, because of why? Well, I've asked someone to do it. They didn't do it right, and the thing was all de a debacle. You know, they busted this, or they did that. Well, maybe we need to walk them through it, you know, and train them through it. And, or if they can't do it, find somebody else that, that maybe can. So it, it, asking for help uh, can be a real test of our trust. And because, um, <clears throat> God, I wrote this down. God knew that a solitary life would be too much for us to bear. And, you know, when, when you think about solitary confinement in prison, I actually knew of a criminal that I know what I'm about to share here is, is outlandishly crazy. But I've shared this before. We actually had bank robbers living in our house. My dad invited him to stay in for some reason. Well, he got saved in prison, this bank robber, and he was from New England. His name was Charles, Charles Fuller. And uh, they would rob banks in Boston, two, three banks, and then escape, and they finally got caught. And he was sent to solitary confinement, this guy. He was like six, eight. And I'm like, he's living in our house with eight kids, you know. But he had a tent. He got saved, and, and through prison, he would preach and teach. And people, people you know, gave houses. They, I mean, he was, it was amazing. Uh, initially, but he talks about the story that for nine months, all he had in solitary confinement was a button, and in the dark, he would try to flip this button and catch it each time. Just think about that. Nine months. Why? Cut off. And see, God does not want us cut off. Satan wants you cut off. Satan wants you in the dark trying to flip things, trying to catch it. He said after nine months, he about lost his mind. He cried, I tried to do push-ups, I'm going to keep in shape. But after nine months, he lost his mind. He cried out, God, I need you. And he asked for a Bible, and he began to read the Bible, and that started his journey of faith. And so here's the thing. God does not want us cut off, and he wants us part of a vibrant body of believers, not cut off. And that's why the Bible said it's not good for man to be alone. He didn't say it's not good that every man needs to be married a woman. It's not what he meant. He meant alone. Alone means cut off. It's not good for a man and woman to be cut off. So we need to be connected. Whether you're married or not, it's important that you're connected to a local church body. And finally, uh, I would say the last one, simple, would be uh, endure the process. Basically, if you do this, Jethro says, God will direct you. I find it amazing. Here's a man, an in-law. <laughs> An in-law had wisdom. Uh, God will direct. Are you slow. Why you guys were slow on that one? An in-law. God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. I'm probably going to be an in-law to somebody else too someday. So, and all these people will be able to go to their place in peace. So, letting go allows God to get involved in the training and equipping of others. And we are promised that God will direct us. And those that leave will live a life of peace. Can you say amen? Stand with me if you would, please. Worship team, you come forward. <clears throat> there we go. New year, new beginning, 2023. And I think about that. We're going to start off this year seeking the Lord, consecrating our lives dedicating our lives to fresh and anew, all of that, I believe, is vital and important. And that God is here to meet you at your point of need. 
and that we'll continue to, to train and equip here, to delegate, and to continue to grow, to learn spiritually. Can you say amen? But um, with every head bowed here this morning as we conclude, I think of a new year, new beginning. Some of you, you know of God, but your relationship is just, it's just not there. And you're struggling. And I believe a yes today to God would be the beginning of a journey, a lifelong journey of following the Lord. And the Bible says you must be born again. You're here today and you say, you know, I've, I've never really surrendered. And well, I've prayed, but I've just, I don't feel like I'm disconnected. The Bible says, repent and believe the good news. Repentance is powerful. I said, repentance is powerful. It's acknowledging that God is God and you are not. and You fall short of his standards. And when you recognize that and you come to that realization that you are a sinner. Well, Pastor Mike, that's harsh. Yep. You are a sinner. I am a sinner without God. You need Jesus in your life. He can forgive you. He can place his spirit in your spirit, man or woman. He can save you. But you have a choice in that matter. This is not going to happen just by osmosis or just, you know, well, one of these days the light's going to click. No, you have to make a choice. No decision is a decision in this moment. You're here today with every head bowed and you say, Pastor, that's me. I make a decision today to choose Jesus. I want to choose life. I make a decision today recognize I'm a sinner. I need God. I'm going to start up this new year in right relationship with God. The Bible says that there is forgiveness and cleansing when you stumble and fall. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin and stumble and fall, but you have at least now forgiveness before it just compounded on your life. You have a new beginning. That's you today. I'd like us to pray corporately. You're not joining this church, but you are joining the family of God. For you to invite Christ into your life. This is the most important part of the service right now, I believe. It's someone giving their life, making their heart right to the Lord. If that's you, you say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for that. Pray with me. Say this. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Jesus, this day, I give you my life. Now take it. Thank you for saving me. I will serve you all the days of my life. Amen.